0: Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome
1: to the Arkansas AgCast for December 12th. I'm your host, Greg Patterson. This week, we talked to this year's Arkansas Farm Family of the Year winner, and we have interviews with a mobile veterinarian and a farmer who specializes in exotic animals. We also learn about a new survey project aiming to find out more about the local food system in Central Arkansas. First, Arkansas Farm Bureau's Keith Sutton talked with Jamie Anderson of I.F. Anderson Farms in Lonoke, the 2019 Arkansas Farm Family of the Year, shortly after he and his family received the honor. This is Keith
2: Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. Today, I'm in North Little Rock at the Farm Family of the Year celebration, and I'm sitting here now talking with Jamie Anderson of IF Anderson Farms. Jamie, uh, congratulations on your family winning this big honor. How, how does that feel to you?
3: Well, it's just it's just an amazing honor. You said it, um, you know, just being being amongst those uh you know that were here for district and, and county it just you know everybody is equal and everybody's deserving and so just to get our names uh you know said out loud it's just a, it's a great honor i'm still kind of speechless about it but uh, it's it's a good feeling but uh you know sometimes you don't feel fully deserving when you see all the others that were in the mix but uh, but we're very appreciative and very honored and uh and we and just Love to be here.
2: Tell us uh, a little bit for people who don't know, tell us a little bit about Anderson Farms and what y'all do.
3: Well, we are, this is our 70th year, uh, four generations. My granddad, great granddad started it back in the late 40s. Uh, We've been uh, primarily bait fish since day one. We've dabbled in some catfish and some other things over the years, but uh, we're still um, just almost 100% bait fish now. We ship to 41 different states. Uh, we sell direct to John Doe Fisherman all the way to a retail store or a wholesaler that may service a hundred retail stores. Uh, so that's kind of our bread and butter and and uh, you know we're sitting in Lone Oak County, same spot we've always been um, with uh, in, in the peak season, we're about forty eight employees. so it's it's just uh, it, it's a business, it's a farm, it's everything wrapped into one
2: what uh what do you think it is about Anderson farms that set you apart so that today you were able to be the one to receive this honor? There's got to be something really special uh, to you at least uh, about your farm that makes it a little bit different than the others.
3: Well, it's you know it's hard to say without you know sounding ungrateful but but you know uh I've got a lot of pride in my family, a lot of pride in my farm. We're four generations into it. We're probably 10 years or less away from the fifth generation being back and ready to come. And, and uh, we started, my granddad, great granddad, started it from scratch. Nothing was nothing was in place when it came to bait fish. They, they created it they, for the domestic bait fish uh, operation. And, and we produce everything and create everything we use. It's not a large industry, so not much out there is made for us. Um, you know, so I can't say that we're set apart. We're just probably more unique. Let's just put it that way.
2: You are unique for sure. I know uh, over the years I've had a lot of visits to your farm. It's a really incredible operation what y'all do out there. Uh, talk a little bit about some of your family members who are also involved right now. You might want to mention them since we can't talk to
3: everybody. And certainly. Um, it It is in... In everything, every sense of the word, it's a family farm. Um, I work with my dad day in, day out, seven days a week. He still goes as hard as he can go and doesn't show any signs of slowing down. And just like his father did. And his father worked there till he was 91. And uh, so, you know, so I got to work with my granddad. Not a lot of people get to say that. Um, my wife works in the business. My sister's involved in the business. She lives out of town now, so not as much as she was. But, but you know, if you're married to a farmer, you're involved. If you're the child of a farmer, you're involved one way or another. You know, it it's there's times in the, in the busy season it's hard to come home, look your kids in the eye, and it's late, it's bedtime for them. You didn't get to spend much time with them that day, but but you know, so they're involved in it. Your your spouse, in one way or another, she's, um, you know, he or she is is just as involved as you are because you know it's a lot. Of uh, a lot on their shoulders because you're absent during the busy season, whether it's row crops or fish. You know, so it, it's uh it is definitely a, a family business, and and uh, thank goodness for it. We're very blessed uh, to be able to have it.
2: And we appreciate you taking time to talk to us. Congratulations again. Happy holidays to you and yours. And uh, it's a great honor, and we're pleased uh, to see you represented here today for your family to to accept this big honor.
3: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate being able to be here and, and the honor bestowed on our family. And and uh, congratulations to all those uh, who were also nominated because it, uh, there wasn't, wasn't one of us that, that deserved it any more than the other.
2: Very good. Thank you very much, Jamie.
3: Thank you.
1: Next, I introduce us to Dr. Chelsea Bland, a veterinarian from Nashville, Arkansas, who operates a mobile vet clinic for large, small, and exotic animals. She describes her operation and the equipment she can bring with her on the road. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we're talking with Chelsea Bland. Dr. Bland is the one who runs Broken L Veterinary Services out of Nashville, Arkansas. And so, Dr. Bland, tell us, you've got a mobile unit our viewers can't see it here. I'm looking at it, but we've got a mobile unit here. And tell us what you're doing.
4: So everything that I do is mobile, either out of my truck or I have a mobile vet clinic that I can bring. Um, I do everything from large animals, small animal, and exotics.
1: So tell us, you know, the traditional veterinary uh, veterinarian would go from farm to farm. Uh, basically working out of their truck, which is what you're doing, but you've got some real specialized equipment here that you can bring to the farm.
4: I do have a portable hydraulic tip chute which um, I've used quite a bit to take and trim feet on farm, which is something that has never been uh, offered in this area by a veterinarian. And then I also have um, a mobile clinic that I can do spays and neuters out of, or I can also use it as my laboratory to flush and freeze embryos out of.
1: So tell us uh, specifically um, the area you cover and some of the services that you offer.
4: So I cover uh, all of Arkansas, and I'm also licensed in Oklahoma and have clients in Oklahoma. I plan on getting licensed in Texas in the next couple months. um, And I do everything from general herd health uh, management protocols for uh, cattle or small ruminants, um, all the way to doing uh, basic shots for cats and dogs to everything in between.
1: So you're covering not only livestock on agricultural livestock, but you're also covering pets as well. And it says here on your card that some of those are exotics. So tell us, tell our listeners about some of the exotics you work with.
4: Most of the exotics in my practice that I currently have are pot-bellied pigs, Um, but I have worked on um, everything from elephants to golden eagle to um, black leopard before.
1: So tell us how you got interested in, in becoming a veterinarian and then branching out in kind of a unique mixture of your veterinary practice.
4: So it was one of those funny stories. I was seven, went to the vet, I had a cat that was very special um, a.k.a. she was kind of a spaz and every year that we went they always had to have a couple people hold her. That year they were really really busy the vet said do you think you can hold her and I said "Yeah." and she never moved and he turned and looked at me he goes you should be a veterinarian so that was my start to my veterinary path Um, and then I did my bachelor's I got burnout on school. So I worked for about seven years before I went back to school and did everything from preclinical research to working in veterinary clinics that were um, very low end where it was difficult for people to pay for a rabies vaccine all the way to clinics that people own strip malls and that kind of stuff. And then I also worked for Oklahoma State as their float tech and moved between all the departments within the vet school and taught vet students
1: So there's not a veterinary school in Arkansas. Where did you get your degree? Was it Oklahoma State?
4: No, I went to st. George in Grenada in the Caribbean where the 83 invasion was Um, the reason I went there is because most of your professors actually have worked as veterinarians before they taught So a lot of the teaching that I got when I went there was, um, this is what the book says, this is what you're gonna be tested on, but here's what you will probably see in the real world. So being able to reach back on all of the experiences I had as a tech in different environments and look back on certain cases and realize the anatomy and physiology behind it or why something was done that way was really helpful for me.
1: So how does someone who's searching for a vet school all of a sudden land on Grenada? Um, Were you looking at a carnival cruise ship type thing or what?
4: Oh, yeah, that'd be fun. No, um, when I worked at Oklahoma State, um, I worked with um, kids from Oklahoma State, Ross, St. Matthews, and St. George. And the St. George students stood out. Um, as far as their hand skills, being able to draw blood, their communication skills with each other, the professors and the clients as well. Um, And then when I started looking at going to vet school, every one of them that I was, I'm still friends with a bunch of them that I taught, they're vets long before I became one. Every single one of them said they would go back to SGU. So that was a pretty positive input for me to know that was the right direction.
1: Now, we're told a lot that there's a shortage of large animal vets in the state of arkansas Um, there's a shortage of large animal vets period Um, so what's to solve that
4: part of what needs to happen is the state's becoming more involved with helping solve some of the student loan issues so like for me my student loans, I was charged interest while I was in school on my student loans, and some of them were six to seven percent interest. So by the time that I graduated vet school in four years, I had over $50,000 just in interest on top of what I owed for my student loan. So And it compounds its capitalized interest, so you're being charged interest on interest, so it makes it really difficult to dig your way out of that hole. So. You can't say that you go into veterinary medicine for money because it, you don't. You go into it for the love of what you do.
1: Well, and in, in you're getting charged interest on interest on top of uh, you know the, the fees you're paying to go to school and and tuition and whatnot. And, and just as I'm looking behind you here, there's a pretty serious equipment uh, investment as well.
4: Yep, sure is. So it's um, trying to, manage and make sure that I can make my student loan payments and make my equipment payments and still have a little bit to live on. Um, So it's a kind of a tricky path, but um, I've been in business for a little over a year and I've done fairly well with it. So.
1: Okay. So you're based in Nashville, Arkansas. Um, that's an area that's, that's a big ag area in the state of Arkansas, a lot of poultry, a lot of, um, cow, calf operations. Uh, things like that. So let's say um, you're getting up and getting ready to start your day. What's a typical day for you as you leave Nashville to go wherever you're headed?
4: So there is no typical day in my realm. There are some days that I wake up and don't have anything scheduled. And I'll get a call at eight o'clock that morning and then there's putting out one fire after another um, and then I get home at 10 o'clock. So that happens pretty regularly during calving season, um, going out and fixing dystocias in the field and putting in prolapses and things like that. Um, and then there's some days that um, I've got some small animal clients that are in Nashville that I go to their house and do their dog and cat shots. And, so no day, no two days is ever the same. And then in the mix of all of that, my husband and I do recip cows. So I'm in the middle of putting in embryos during different times of the year. So it kind of becomes a juggling act between all of that.
1: So in the juggling act between, let's say, ag livestock and, and pets or exotics or whatever it is, what's your, what's your kind of off-the-cuff percentage breakdown in, in the types of animals you're working with?
4: So probably 65% is cattle. Um, It also includes some dairy cows that I work on as well. And then probably 25% small animal, 5% horses, 5% exotics, somewhere in the realm of that.
1: So there's never a dull moment it seems in, in your days.
4: Absolutely not every day is something different Um, i'm very very fortunate to have exceptional clients that really value my input and one of my end goals with my practice is i want people to look back and say she had a really positive impact especially on the cattle industry in southwest arkansas
1: tell us about your philosophy in treating animals regardless of what kind of animal it is What are you trying to get across? Obviously, you're trying to maintain health in an animal. You're trying to handle an emergency situation. But what are you also trying to do in regards to working with the owner, whether it's a cattle operation or or just a pet owner?
4: So my style of practice is different because it stems from what I wanted as a kid. You'd walk into a vet clinic and they do the dog and cat shots and they leave and then there was never any time to ask questions you know i feed my dog the right dog food do i need to change up the vaccine protocol with my cows that kind of stuff so especially the first appointment for any client is at least 30 minutes um, so i want to make sure that i don't leave and you have questions uh, i think that client education is the key to helping your clients be better with their animals so I also do written discharges doesn't matter if it's cat or cow you still get written discharges that says all right I want to see if you see these signs that's great if you see these signs call me so give people parameters and something to go back and look at because that's a lot of information to take in especially if you've got something that is sick well how often do I do the antibiotics all that stuff even though it's on the label sometimes if you word it differently on discharges then it makes it a little bit easier to comprehend and it goes back because it is a lot of information to provide. I also do client handouts. I have a um, herd health protocol management for cattle. Um, I've also went through and typed up some information about dog and cat food and good resources so you know where to look for your information instead of um, watching TV and the ads on TV because all of that gets really confusing.
1: You have a license in Arkansas, you have one in Oklahoma, you're fixing to get one in Texas, so you're like the ultimate road warrior here.
4: I do travel a lot. In my first eight months of practice, um, what was it, I had driven over 20,000 miles and worked in nearly 20 counties in Arkansas, plus I, that's not counting the counties in Oklahoma as well.
1: Do you have a favorite animal that you just really enjoy working on?
4: I love working on cattle. If it came down to me having one pet to only have forever, my dog clients would kill me but I'm really a cat person. so my two cats at my house are um, yeah they're pretty pretty high on the list but I've also got a horse that I've had since he was born. He celebrated his 22nd birthday in May so he's my other main squeeze.
1: Okay, we have been speaking here with Dr. Chelsea Bland. She's a veterinarian, uh, veterinarian that's, that's based out of Nashville. Now, now, your company's called, or your business is called, Broken L Veterinary Services. Explain that name.
4: So the Broken L is my family brand. It's one of the first and um, registered brands in Kansas first and oldest. Um, so I'm the fifth generation for it. Uh, grew up in Kansas, but moved down to Nashville once I met my husband. And um, it was actually his idea to carry on the family legacy by utilizing the Broken L brand.
1: Anything else you want to tell us? Uh, what, would you, what, what kind of advice would you give to someone who either the idea hit them like it did you, hey, I want to be a vet Uh, or someone who's actually in vet school right now.
4: Don't be afraid to step out and be different. Don't be afraid to um, break the mold. Make sure that you shadow a lot of different practices. So I worked in a lot of different environments before I went to vet school. So it really helped me know more of what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. So get the experience and um, keep pushing and doing what you want to do.
1: On this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we have been speaking with Dr. Chelsea Bland, and she is a veterinarian uh, based out of Nashville, Arkansas, with Broken L Veterinary Services. And Dr. Bland, thank you so much for spending time with us.
4: Thank you so much. If you all have any questions, you can find me on Facebook at Broken Ale Vets or my phone
1: number is 870-557-8404. Thank you so much. I also spoke with Chris Backus of Backus Family Adventure Farm in Hagerville who describes how he's slowly shifted his farming operation from commercial cattle and poultry to focus on agri-tourism and events with a variety of exotic animals. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau. And on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, we're talking with Chris Backus and his mom, Nedra. And we are here just outside of Lamar. And what town are we in? This is a small community of Hagerville. Okay, so we're in uh, Hagerville, which is a suburb of Lamar. And, and you guys have a real interesting farm. You've got an exotic animal Farm that you've gotten involved in ag tourism on, and, and Chris, how'd that get going?
5: Sure. So we uh, have lived on this farm for quite a while, and family grew broilers for Tyson and, and commercial cattle. And we had some animals that miniature donkeys and llamas that we had started getting. That I, I kind of like animals, and so we had started gathering those. And people wanted to come out and see them all the time. Uh, we added a camel to the farm, and so of course everybody wanted to come see the camel. And people were wanting us to bring those to. Uh, do birthday parties and petting zoos in the community at their house and so we ultimately just decided to turn our our farm our party our existing hay equipment shed into a party barn and start doing birthday parties and events on the farm.
1: Nedra did you have any idea that you would ever be at this point in in your farming life?
6: No and actually this was all a kid's idea Uh, it was our oldest son's idea to start doing the birthday parties here. I told them that it would not work. No one would come here. And they said, "Mom, I promise if you do it, they will come."
1: <laughs> so so you're actually pretty surprised at how things have worked out.
6: Absolutely.
1: Yes. When you when you were first farming, I mean you were doing traditional farming and then uh Obviously, some things changed as far as the farm was concerned, and, and it took this direction. Um, what's it been like for you as you've gone on
6: this journey? Well, um, it's exciting. Uh, I used to spend my days, you know, in the broiler houses by myself and feeding the cattle and so forth. And, and now it's a whole different uh Ball
1: game, you might say, because I, I, I'm, I'm saying right now, now our listeners can't see this, but we are sitting in a beautiful what you call a party barn, and, and it's decorated fantastically for the Christmas season and stuff. And, and you've got to be able to use some of your skills in regards to that now that that's better than just walking through an old chicken house. Yes, I say it's a lot, a lot more fun now on the farm. Chris, uh, when we were walking around, you were showing us just an incredible amount of, of different animals. I mean, just non-traditional farm animals. And, and where did that interest come from?
5: Sure. So I've always loved animals. And um, I think it's one of those things that is just in your blood. You, you love animals. Whenever I was growing up, I showed cattle and sheep. And uh, so whenever I taught at Lamar, I taught agricultural education there. Um, had some students that wanted to get some miniature donkeys and so that's kind of what started it all Um, we got a pair of miniature donkeys there and then of course got a miniature horse and then a llama and that's where it kind of started and um, now as as opportunities arise for us to get different types of animals and and add them to the farm we we try to do that
1: now talk about some of the other animals that are here that you showed us today
5: sure so we uh, along with the miniature Donkeys, miniature horses, miniature cattle, llamas, we've got camels, Um, we've got arctic foxes, zebras, lemurs, African crested porcupines. So anything that a little kid might enjoy on a birthday party, that's pretty much what we raise.
1: And six-toed Hemingway cats from (laughs) Key West, Florida or something like that. It's pretty amazing what you've got around here. Nandra, what was it like um, as far as your family? You've got a close family, Family, obviously. They all live around here. Um, as this idea progressed, um, what was it like to witness that and watch that whole process go down?
6: Well, it's just a wonderful opportunity. Our grandkids work here on the farm with us, so they don't have to go to town and get a job. You know, as teenagers in town, they can be here on the farm. They help us a lot, and we get to be with them and and it's just a fun thing to get to have the whole family here. And we named it Bacchus Family Adventure Farm, and that is exactly what it is because we're all involved in different different aspects of it.
1: So not only is it a family adventure farm for the people coming here, it's an adventure for your family as you go through it. And part of that adventure, Chris, was you guys have had some storms that have come in here. and. And hit hard and caused your family to have to try and rethink how they're doing things.
5: We did. So two years ago on March 1st, we got hit by a tornado and it took out our nursery that had some of the small animals in it. And so we decided to rebuild it and and gave us the opportunity to kind of redesign it and and build a little better habitats for, for the animals in it. And then this year on May 1st, we got hit by another storm that took out one of the petting zoo barns completely and the wedding barn and, and took the top off of an, another barn and, and just kind of did a lot of damage all over the place. And so it really made us kind of rethink how we were set up and, and we've decided to rebuild and, and we've built a brand new wedding barn closer to the party barn so that's more convenient We had quick-growing broilers in one of the chicken houses, and so um, we took the opportunity to turn it into a fun barn with animals in it, as well as a a play area for kids. So the storms, while they definitely have been challenges that we didn't really wanna mess with, um, they've kind of given us opportunity to redesign and, and refocus as we go, so.
1: Nedra, talk about what a typical, if you can call it, typical weekend is around here. You had mentioned earlier when we were outside about the number of birthday parties and the number of weddings. How busy are you guys on weekends?
6: We are busy every weekend. Uh, If I book a wedding, I don't have birthday parties for that day, I give give them the whole day uh, but if we do birthday parties on the weekends then we have um, most of the time anywhere from three four five birthday parties on the weekends. so it's very busy around here
1: chris talk about uh when folks come here for the first time what's their reaction
5: a lot of times uh, the first time they come the kids are when they realize that they can go to the barns they, they get real excited and they just run from pen to pen and see what animal's in the next pen before they even really look at what's in the one they're standing at. So that's kind of the typical reaction the first time is they run from pen to pen.
1: Well, and we were doing the same thing when you were showing <laughs> us around because as you look from one pen to the next, you're just blown away with the, the variety of animals that are there. Talk in terms of uh, some of the things that you're doing um, differently than traditional farming, but at the same time, you're really into raising animals that you can sell to other people.
5: Sure. So um, we used to have commercial cattle and because of a couple of different um, reasons, we scaled back a little bit with the drought one year. We scaled back quite a bit with our commercial cattle. um, And then I had some that got into Um, some poison and I lost several of my cows and so at that point we just decided not to raise commercial cattle. Um, We had started raising some of the miniature cattle and miniature donkeys and found a pretty good market for them. They work well for what we do with the agritourism because they're easy to handle, they're small, um, kids like seeing them, but at the same time they're still a pretty good market and so it's the same production practices with miniature animals as it is with large ones, just a lot less inputs into it. Um, A lot of our miniature animals will sell as young, you know, a lot of the calves will sell as bottle calves or or young calves when they're still cute and fluffy and uh, the miniature donkeys people there's been a pretty steady market for that so that's kind of our goal with the agritourism is that when people come here we want them to have fun, we want them to have play games and and pet animals they may not see but we also want them to see production ag and so we raise sheep, we raise cattle and, and miniature donkeys and so they get to see the babies when they're here. They get to see them when they're a day old all the way up until they're weaned. So,
1: Now, you are the state advisor for FFA, and obviously FFA is big in, in teaching youth about what goes on on a farm and stuff like that. So how do you incorporate that into – you have – probably thousands of kids who come here during the course of a year, whether it's a birthday party or a school trip or something like that. So how do you incorporate just giving them a, a, an idea of what's going on with farming when they visit?
5: Yeah, so a couple of ways. Um, on school field trips, it's easier to do some educational pieces. And so a lot of times this, um, we, we partner some with uh, my dad who teaches ag. His students will learn about the different species And they'll come out for for field trips and his students can actually educate the younger kids when they're here on field trips about the different species of animals and then at the end of the field trip they'll come back in here and and while they're getting snacks they kind of do a review of some of the the animals that they have seen and kind of quiz them about some of the different things so we try to incorporate more educational pieces into the field trips where the students actually learn about. Um, about the animals, so.
1: So there's no doubt with your dad being in ag education, you being in ag education, anybody who visits here is going to learn something about farming. We sure hope so. <laughs> Tell us, Nidra, um, you, you had a, uh, you have a big event every year, uh, and recently you had um, the Nativity event that you did, and, and Tell us how that came about, and and what happens as far as when you have your your nativity event.
6: Uh, each December we do a, a living nativity, and uh, Larry's FFA students come out and they actually put the show on. Uh, we open up the farm to the to the public free of charge. It's just our thank you to the community for, uh, for letting us do this and for uh, having their events here throughout the year. Uh, We open up the farm, we have uh, three shows at different times of the evening. Uh, We have uh, the Grinch here, Uh, so that kind of adds a fun aspect to it. We open up all the barns and let everybody just enjoy the animals and enjoy the games and and the farm.
1: So who has the best personality to be the Grinch?
6: Oh, we have the perfect, perfect (laughs) person for the Grinch.
1: (laughs) Any comment on that, Chris? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> so tell me, Chris, if, if people want to come out to the uh, Bacchus Family Adventure Farm and have their own adventure, how do they do that?
5: The easiest way to get hold of us is through our Facebook page, Bacchus Family Adventure Farm, and that's where we book all of our events through the, through the Facebook page.
1: So, Nedra, if you had uh, more than 52 weekends, could you fill them up? I think so. <laughs> Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Well, this edition of Arkansas AdCast, we've been talking with uh, Nedra and Chris Bacchus, and they run the uh, Bacchus Exotic Farm where uh, folks come and visit and do weddings and birthday parties and everything else. And it's been a real pleasure talking to both of you. Thank you so much.
5: You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for being here.
1: Finally, Ken Moore talks to Julianne Dunn, instructor of economic development with the University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture Cooperative Extension Service, about a new survey being conducted with Pulaski County consumers to learn more about locally grown food options in the area.
0: I'm speaking today with Julianne Dunn. Julianne is instructor of economic development for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture's Cooperative Extension Service. And we're going to be discussing a special uh, online survey that the Extension Service is conducting about local food production and consumer preferences concerning local foods. And uh, Julianne, thank you for visiting with us today, just a little bit to discuss your survey. If you will, just kind of why are you conducting this survey and uh How is it going to work? How can people participate?
7: Well, thank you for having uh, me on today. Um, The goal of the survey is to really gauge how consumers feel about their local food system, how easy it is to access what they feel about where they are able to access, whether it's a grocery store or a farmer's market, the quality of food and the diversity of the food that they are receiving, um, whether they are – and whether they can access it on – you know, SNAP programs or any kind of other program that makes it easy to access local food. Um, and the idea is, like, we really just want to get a sense of what the consumers are feeling, um, and we're focused primarily on, um, on six or seven zip codes in Pulaski County as a starting point. We had to start somewhere. And, um, and really just, you know, getting as many people's point of view as possible.
0: So how are you reaching out to them, uh, getting them engaged, and how will local consumers conduct this survey?
7: So we have a couple of different methods that we've been trying to collect information. We did send out a physical snail mail mailer um, earlier this year um, to a random set of addresses within Pulaski County. We also had a – we worked with a company to reach out to people through telephone and mail um, we also have been in front of a few grocery stores around Pulaski County. You might have seen us and waved to us. Um, and then we also have a survey online through SurveyMonkey, um, where we're collecting this information. So we are trying to get to as many people as possible um, through as many different avenues as we possibly can. Um, and uh, just so I don't forget, the, six, the seven zip codes are 72202, 72204, Seven two two zero five, seven two two zero nine, seven two zero seven six, seven two two one six, and seven two one two zero. Lots of numbers, but if it's your zip code, you probably recognize it. Um, and um, we're really just trying to get as many people as possible to fill it out. Um, and this is only the first step in a several-step process to get a real sense of the environment as a whole. Um, because consumers are only one part of, you know, the, the, the chain of where local food comes from before it gets into our kitchens.
0: Exactly. Uh, of course, the Arkansas Grown program has been around for several years now. Uh, a lot of local consumers statewide should be very familiar with the importance of and, and, of course, their preference to purchase locally grown, you know, from a roadside stand, from a farmer's market. Farmer's markets, as we know, are becoming very huge, very popular all over America, really, and and certainly here in Arkansas. But if you can, uh, just kind of what type of questions are you asking? Uh, What can people be asked to respond to?
7: Um, So it's nothing. um, We try not to ask any questions that are are wildly identifiable. Um, What we're trying to get, a lot of our questions are where do you get your food, how comfortable do you feel about the food you're getting, Um, Is it very accessible? We're also listing several of the programs that we know are out there where people are able to get food um, and seeing if they even know about what's around um, and um, also giving them an opportunity to share ones that we don't know about. Um, We have a pretty good sense, but, you know, no one can know everything, so it's really great to be able to even gauge maybe there's a program at your local church that we don't know about that's gathering food from – a church member or there is a community center that has a community garden that's giving out food we don't know what's out there so um, what we're missing so that's a great way to ask for that but mostly it's just um, how comfortable people are feeling about the food they're getting how accessible the food is um, and what they'd like to see if what from what's missing um, if they they don't think that there's enough food or if they'd like to see more local food at restaurants or if they'd like to see more local food at the larger chain grocery stores. Um, so it's, a, it's a, a pretty comprehensive survey. Um, we tried not to make it too long, um, and we definitely didn't ask any questions that are too, like, we couldn't track you down after you feel, filled it out. It's as anonymous as we can make it. Um, and uh, but trying to get a real sense of how people feel about this, the environment.
0: One of our local farmers, he always likes to say, "Know your farmer, know your food." He's involved in the local food production uh, segment. He's even purchased a couple of old uh, uh, stores that you, if you will, uh, and he's renovated them and he's opened a couple of local mercantiles where he could sell his uh, beef, pork, and poultry products uh, right out of those stores, as well as local produce in season. And uh, he's connecting with local consumers through these little mercantiles and cafes here locally in central Arkansas. And he's just one example of an entrepreneur who's doing that. But it's all about giving that consumer that confidence in the food that they're purchasing and eating, whether it's uh, at a farmer's market or in a small cafe.
7: Exactly. And that consistency, too, like knowing that every time they go back there, the same food that they're looking for is there every time. That, or knowing that it might not be there, so that's half the excitement, right?
0: Yes, exactly right. So uh, again, how is this going to help local producers, local uh, fruit and vegetable growers?
7: So um, we will be sharing the results of this survey, but also, um, as you as um, you may know. Or- we are also having focus groups and interviews with producers starting next year to also gauge their feeling about how easy it is to get their food into the local consumers' hands. Um, and they'll be able, and that's the point where we start sharing how consumers feeling. So we're going to be transparent about all of this information. Um, so producers hear directly from consumers. Well, not directly, but you know, as, a res- as like the 33% of consumers say this sort of thing. And being able to have them react to that information as well as share information about where they would like to get their food if they are not already there or what kind of support we can give them that they're not currently getting, but also, like, highlight what support they're getting that's amazing. Um, And the Farm Bureau is an example of that. But that's, that's that's the next big step is talking to these producers, sharing the information from the consumer survey and seeing what they're saying as well. Um, and the third component of it, this is, is also talking to these merchants, these restaurants, these uh, uh, farm, mar- farmers' markets managers, and hearing about, you know, the middle. Where, where, are the, where, are the, where is the food being sold from? How easy is it for them to get consistently good quality food? How easy is it to talk to producers or find producers when they do want to expand their options? So we're getting three different kinds of points of view of the local food environment, so we can really see how vital and how vibrant the environment is, and also see what opportunities to grow there are.
0: A couple of years ago, we uh, connected with a local church that was involved with the Arkansas Food Bank, I believe. They retrofitted this bus and retrofitted it into a local farmer's market, if you will, where they could put fresh produce inside this bus and they could travel around to what they called food deserts here across Little Rock, uh, where people are shut in, they can't get out to the supermarkets, they had no way to get the locally fresh uh, produced food, and so they're they're going to where they live, and you know, parking lots and things like that. How is this going to help reach those consumers who are uh, shut in in these food deserts to get that local food?
7: Well, that's that's a prime example of where we're looking for opportunity. Um, I mean, food deserts are a very big deal. It's not just shut-ins. It's also people who don't have a grocery store within, I think it's five miles. Um, and so they end up shopping at you know, their little corner markets that don't necessarily have local food um, available or you know it's not cost-efficient for them to have um, local food. And, and so we're trying, That's you know, that's one of the avenues of how we, you know, that's why we sent mailers as well um, we're trying to advertise this particular survey as much as possible, so we can get their point of view um, as well. Um, and that's also why we chose these um, zip codes, because it's a wide range of different types of consumers. Um, and different types. And there's a few food deserts that are in um, in these uh, zip codes that can also say that we're starting to see, like, they don't know where their food is coming from. So that's also going to be an opportunity that we are already starting to see about raising awareness about who your farmer is, like you said earlier. Um, And if that's maybe getting the farmers more into the schools or getting them to come visit these grocery stores or farmers, um, well, they're at the farmer's markets, but at the grocery stores or restaurants, um, but, you know, raising awareness and maybe raising the profile of these farmers that are producing um, such amazing food for Pulaski County.
0: And I meant to say that also they partnered with the Arkansas Hunger Relief Alliance, as well as the Food Bank, on that project. Well, this is great, uh, Julianne, and uh, we wish you the best of luck with your survey. And as you go forward into the new year with it, when these focus groups, we look forward to helping you uh, down the road publicize the results of all of this.
7: Thank you so much for having me, Um, And you'll be able to find that survey link hopefully on your social media as well as the Cooperative Extension. So we hope to hear from everybody and hear their point of view.
0: Why don't you give that link where they can go online and participate in the survey?
7: Um, So I actually can give it to you if you want right now. It's surveymonkey.com slash R slash L-F-V-A-R-K-2. Um, again, it's surveymonkey.com slash r slash lfvark2. Um, and hopefully everyone clicks on it. But I will also send it to you so you can post it in your liner notes.
0: Well, thank you, Julianne. And for all of our listeners listening into our conversation, we encourage you to go to that link that she just gave you and participate. This is very important. And uh, helping the Cooperative Extension Service learn more about your preferences. Concerning local food. Julianne, thanks for your time.
7: Thank you. Have a wonderful day. I've
0: been speaking with Julianne Dunn, instructor of economic development for the Cooperative Extension Service on this edition of Arkansas AgCast.
1: That's it for this week's AgCast. We'll be back next Thursday with more
0: agriculture features and news.